Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wartman coming to you live from the Dreamagination Sports Studios. It is Wednesday, May 22nd, 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Excited to be with you again this morning. Thanks for tuning in. Had a great uh, conversation yesterday with Tiffany Weimer and... Um, it's just, it's so cool to, to talk to different uh, people from different backgrounds, different experiences. I think too often when we look at soccer, and we look at a, what is a professional soccer player, for example, we look at it in a, in a very monolithic way. And um, it's easy to get caught up in thinking that, you know, if you're a pro soccer player, everyone is at... Everyone is near the level of, you know, notoriety or fame or or even, you know, um, money as the top players in the world. And uh, and that's not a, not always the case. In, in, in actually, in most cases, it's, it's actually not often the case. So to 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 see her journey and her story and to kind of talk with her about it and the other things she has going on is it was was really great and uh really enjoyed it and um today we're gonna we're gonna have uh a chat with uh, someone who is uh coming up after the break zenzo uh Ninlovu, who um who is doing really cool things for uh, kids in Mobile, Alabama, and kind of talk to him about his background and 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 what drew, drew him to the area, and ultimately uh, the kind of impact that he he tries to make on these kids. Um, it, and I I think it's going to be a great chat, and that's coming up after the break here in just a few minutes. Um, the the seasons are winding down uh, across Europe. Things are kind of winding winding down. We're, we're heading towards the Europa League and Champions League finals. Um, the FA Cup final uh, occurred this past weekend, and um, Manchester City uh, won the Cup. I mean, most of European um, domestic soccer is, is either closed or, or almost closed. 
in Spain, the Copa del Rey is uh, is coming up as well. And we get into kind of this next phase in, in, in American sports. The NFL has done the best job in this area, which is their offseason, trying to figure out ways to keep the sport in front of the public eye and in front of the fans for, you know, 12 months a year. The beauty about a, a global football game, a global football season, um, or as we call it in America, soccer, is that the sport is when when, when you are running the kind of fixtures uh, between a, a league season, uh, a continental season like the UEFA Champions League, um, when you're looking at domestic cups, etc., it's going to generally run about 10 months out of the 12 months. You're playing 10 months out of the 12 months. So when you're you're looking at the offseason, how do we fill all this time for the NFL? It's a lot of time you got to fill. Um, in, the, in, the, in global football, there's really like six to eight weeks where you're you're trying to fill and stay in front of the public eye. And this is the, the time of the year where the, where the most business, soccer business, in terms of, of the player market takes place between, you know, June 1, end of May here, June 1, going into the end of August. Um, it, but the, the heavy, heavy piece of this happens in June and July. And and that player market, that player player transfers, all of that that business that that's totally lacking in this country because of the centralized system that U.S. soccer has sanctioned as our first division, and that is Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer, and on the women's side, as Tiffany alluded to yesterday, uh, with the NWSL, are both built around a core concept of centralized control. And centralized control means that a club is, or in the case of MLS, a franchise. They don't have clubs. They just have a, a franchise, a team that they're able to, to, to run. Um, the, the franchise does not have the freedom to develop the best players, pay them the best wages, bring in the best players and pay them the best wages. That's not allowed. It, it's banned. Um, so when you turn on a an, an MLS match, the level of the quality on the field is not very high in global standards. How could it be? You can't attract the best talent. If you can't pay the best talent, you're not going to attract the best talent. So MLS, you know, realized that that wasn't working. So, you know, several years ago, they put in their DP rule, their designated player rule, and, you know, agreed to basically say, okay, well, we'll let two or three players um, be paid above and beyond our centralized control structure for wages. And, and they were thinking that that would be enough of a circus attraction for people to come out and watch the games. It hasn't paid off. Attendance has dropped this year around the league, and uh, again, and and the TV numbers are dreadful, um, and it all comes down to quality. Americans innately, even if we, even if the the sports culture at large doesn't know 
soccer, doesn't know the global game of football in the way that Brazil, Argentina, Spain, England, Germany, Netherlands, we don't, we don't have a sporting culture that deep for the general sports fan in America. Um, we don't, we don't understand those, those elements. We don't really get that culture. Now there are plenty of first, um, you know, soccer first, uh, fans in this country who, who do get that culture. They do understand it, but the general sports fan doesn't understand that culture. They don't know, but they innately know when quality isn't good enough. And that's what Major League Soccer is running into. When you make that the top level of the country, meaning more investments in that place, the television deals, the commercial deals, the the sweetheart deal that Major League Soccer has with the Federation through Soccer United Marketing in the first place, when you have all of those elements in place, it depresses the entire system. If you are a a club in, in New Orleans, Louisiana, you don't have access to the top. It's very difficult to build something of scale, not impossible, but difficult in our system. It's very, very difficult. So when you're when you when you look at kind of the state of our system and the state of what's going on and and we we talked about this yesterday with the USL operating in division 2 and division 3 and then they also operate in the amateur space with their USL League 2 when when they sue the UPSL uh, which only operates in the amateur space, according to U.S. Soccer, but has multiple divisions within itself, using some of the same terminology of championship, League One, League Two, both both organizations, and, and I just want to state this out there, both organizations were, in my opinion, used terminology that, was ripped off from England. It was it was a lazy move. It was a it was a, a move to try to capitalize on the English Football League and what people have watched overseas and 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 in in branding what they're doing. Neither one got original in in determining levels, etc. So both both organizations um you know did this ripoff move and and said we're going to Name our different levels. These names both use the same names from England. Neither were original. Um, so, but looking at all of that, why is it important for the USL? Why is it important for them to, you know, to, to, to push back against the UPSL? Well, they have a lot of money invested at the top in USL Championship and USL League One which is sanctioned professionally, Division Two and Division Three. Their ability to operate their business, their ability to do commercial deals, their ability to attract new investors, their ability to get paid, because that league is not owned by its member clubs the way a proper league is set up around the world. It, it has, a, for, for the purpose of promotion, relegation, and open systems, and the way that, that leagues should be owned 
operated and governed, they are improperly set up for that uh, for that operation. They are owned by you know a handful of individuals, not clubs, and and those individuals uh, don't own clubs in the league either. They are there to make money off of these teams, paying them to be in their league. So their business model is predicated on them being able to collect these fees. Collecting these fees means they get paid. They, they earn money. They're not earning money by running a club. So when you see the, the setup there and you understand what's motivating them from a business standpoint, and then getting into the, the setup of the UPSL and understanding that, and then you think about the macro level of depressed wages and the fact that this is the time of the year where we should be seeing massive player transfers and transfer market. That whole element of the offseason is dead. It's it's dormant here in America. You you don't see USL or MLS franchises selling players for massive amounts of money domestically or internationally you don't see them signing them domestically or internationally for massive dollars we don't participate in the greatest largest biggest i mean i can keep going with labels transfer market in the world we're the greatest biggest sports economy on earth when it comes to soccer we don't want to participate we don't want to be a big player. And that's proven in the way that U.S. soccer sanctions Major League Soccer and signs off on its operations. It gives its stamp of approval by saying you're our first division and allowing that first division league in Major League Soccer to operate in a way that depresses wages and keeps us out of the transfer market keeps us out of the big business of soccer and ultimately it's why the ratings suffer it's why people don't come to matches because the quality is not on the field at what should be our top level people know it people know it so even if they don't get football culture even if they don't really live die breathe whatever soccer they know it they know it they watch TV. They'll if they see clips of Messi, if they see clips of the Premier League, if they see clips of the Bundesliga or Ajax, and then they watch a Major League Soccer game, they know it. They can't tell you what they know. They may not be able to explain what they see, but they know it. And we're never going to get away from that. Authenticity is key to success. And we are not being authentic with the public at what we are doing at the highest levels of our game in America. That has got to get better. That has got to change in order for us to take the next step for us to progress. We're hosting world cup 2026. We have to do better and our leagues have to do better and our leagues have to have the ability to rise and I think some of this pressure is going to have to come from the lower leagues. It's going to have to come from youth clubs who come together and say, 
enough is enough. And um, once we get to that place, maybe we get enough pressure. Maybe we we reach a level that um, allows us the opportunity to grow, to really develop, and then eventually participate in the greatest player economy in the in, in soccer on earth happening right now thanks for tuning into the show we will be right back after uh, after these messages but uh before we go first i want to say our sponsor for today's show is charity water charity water provides clean drinking water to people all over the earth they are changing villages changing lives learn more about them at charitywater.org we will be right back after this Welcome back to the show. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. Uh, we are really excited to be joined uh, by Zinzo Nedlovu. And Zinzo, I'm, I may have absolutely murdered your last name. If I did, I, total apologies there. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. How are you doing this morning? I am doing well as uh, also. Um, give us a little bit of background. Wh- where are you from originally? Yes, um, so just to go back to that uh, name that uh, you didn't matter, it, uh, it was kind of quite close. Uh, so my full name is Zenzo Anlov. I go by coach Z. Uh, I am from uh, originally from Zimbabwe, which is a southern uh, African country just right above our South Africa. And and what 
Um, what drew you to America? And, and and tell us a little bit about that story. Why did you come? When did you come? Etc. Et yes, sir. Well, I'm a compressed uh, and 19 year old story into about uh, one minute. Uh, so I um I, I grew up there, of course. I was born and raised there. And uh, when I was 18, uh, assigned uh, right after high school, assigned uh, contract with semi pro team. And about a year later, uh, assigned a professional t- uh, contract with the team there. And uh, so I played about five, six years. And uh, my, my desire always been, you know, wanting to go to play in Europe. But it was back in those days, uh, in the early 90s, it was really not easy uh, for any African player to break through the uh, European ranks. And so I met um, Kelly Jacobson. He was an American guy. Uh, who went to Zimbabwe to uh, to play professional soccer there, and uh, he, so he actually played for a team that I used to uh, play for when I was young, and then uh, we became friends. How I just cannot tell you how that happened, but we became friends. And so one day he approached me and said, "Hey, would you like to go and play soccer in America?" And so I kind of thought about it, you know, uh, for a second. Then I told him no, you know, because back then American soccer was really just not good at all. And then uh, after a day or so, I called him and said, hey, listen, let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch and I told him, hey, listen, I will take that opportunity. So in the back of my mind, really was just going to use uh, American college as a stepping stone to bounce off and go to Europe. And so long story short, you know, you know, he, he got an uh, email. He was actually the first guy to uh, introduce me to email. And uh, he helped me out to... Uh, Opened up an email address, and so you know we communicated with his coach in North Carolina, and uh, so I, you know, he the guy just took Kelly's word, and uh, and he told me to come preseason for tryout, and uh, with my bags already packed to get ready to go to college. So, uh, so that's why I came here. 2000, no, it was summer 2000, um, but I ended up not going to that school anyway. So I ended up going to University of Mobile. If that kind of answers uh, that question. That's fantastic. So, you you come to the University of Mobile. Uh, how did you in? How did you get that connection? You 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 only had kind of, from what I understand, this this connection to North Carolina, but you end up in Mobile, yeah. Alabama. So, what what was that kind of detour like? <laughs> yes. Well, it's another story, and so I can really write a book about this. So, so before I left Zimbabwe, Kelly's friend, Kelly Jacobson's friend. Uh, he's a uh, coach in North Carolina. He's, um, I'm sure you're familiar with his name. Maybe you've never heard. You can, you know, Google him out. His name is Sean Dawkins. He coaches at D1 school, uh, Coastal Carolina. It's a very successful school there. Um, so he had come to Zimbabwe to recruit my friend. So I met him. Uh, we went to lunch, and they were exchanged contacts. Hey, when you get to America, let's get in touch, you know. Uh, so you're going to like me. So when I got here, uh, so I was in uh, I was in Michigan at the time, so I called my coach in North, uh, North Carolina, and I told him I was getting ready to come uh, to preseason training. And then he said, "Hey, I'm glad you called. I just realized I don't have enough uh, money uh, for you this uh, for this season. So I'd love for you to come up with our fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, then next semester I'll take care of you full ride. You know, put in an apartment, do some soccer camp. But right now." I need you know, I did, I had about thirty five dollars in my wallet. And um so I, I told my you know, I couldn't do that. One, you know, when I was playing in Zimbabwe, I was paid 
to play. So now you're asking me to pay to play. So I just, I just, um, I just was not in the position financially to do that. So I thought about Sean talking, and I, and I still had his email and, and stuff like that. So I emailed him, and uh, I was 26. I was 26. So Sean said, hey, uh, Z, you know, I, I caught the D1. So you got rules. You, you are old for that division. So you have to be at least, you know, 22 and younger or 19 and younger. I can't remember how he had put it. So he said, but a friend of mine in Alabama, He's looking for players, but I, I think he's already got the full squad, but just uh, go ahead and uh, call him. So I called Coach Fuller uh, several times. I left a voicemail, and he called me back three days later and said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm really full. I recruited already, um, but I've never seen you play as well. So if you can take a chance and come to Mobile and, uh, and try out. And so we'll see. we go from there. And so... He had told me that some of his players were playing PDL in um, Michigan. Uh, uh, I can't remember the place. Uh, Sacno. Yeah, they were in Sacno. So I you know, got a ride. I went to Sacno, and I, I caught a ride from, uh, from Sacno with those guys. Came back here, 15-hour drive, and I tried out one morning, and I tried out the next evening. And uh, he told me he liked me, and uh, he wanted to see if I could stay. Though he was kind of sick, but he would say, hey, I'll give you the money. And then we can go from this out. That's how I ended up here in Mobile. I love that journey. I love that story because we 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 think of becoming an, a a professional soccer player or you know becoming a a, a a senior player, whether that's in college or whatever, as a linear story. And the more we talk to guests like you, yesterday's guest Tiffany Weimer, we you can quickly see that every player's journey uh, is not necessarily the same pathway. It's not necessarily the same yeah. linear step-by-step. Step. So you get to mobile and you play mm. um, you're, you're still, you're still in mobile after you finish yeah. playing. What, what drew you to stay in the area and and you know and and what have you been doing in in the game of soccer since getting out of school? Okay, so but my journey continues. So when he uh, when Coach Fuller granted me, he, he told me I was going to give me some money. So if an international uh, student, you are given a form called I uh, I twenty, that shows uh, you're going to uh, go to this school A. You know, A, B, C school from 2000 to 2004, whatever day, but it has the name of a school there. So, because I was changing school, that coach found out in North Carolina that I was not coming to him. And so he threatened to call the immigration to deport me uh, if I didn't come. So, so I went to the admission office on Vessel Mobile and we called immigration ourselves. They said, well, he is right. He's right. So what you guys can do is he can go back to Zimbabwe and, 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 and purchase a ticket and come right back. Or he can go to any other country. Uh, and as long as he can get his passport stamped out and stamped right back in. And so and they suggested Mexico. So my, uh, my coach bought me a ticket, a Greyhound ticket. So I went to Mexico uh, and I got lost there. You know, another story for another day. I got lost there, uh, but I made it across the bridge uh, just in time before that going, because I bought a return ticket just in time before that bus left me. And so I got here, of course, I played. Um, 
So looking back now, I, I really believe um, God was uh, chasing after me. God was chasing after me. I mean, I'm, I look like I grew up in a Christian home, uh, but was just not a Christian myself. So when I got to University of Mobile, it's just a Christian school. Kids were nice, players were nice. Uh, but there was something that just I didn't like. I just feel like there was a small campus. I remember with our first game, there were like five kids watching the game compared to like 25,000 you know, fans that I've left in Zimbabwe or 32. It was just a big crowd. So we had five kids, and then the atmosphere was just not what I had in mind. So I purposed. I was going to, you know, you know, leave. So I, I played that semester in that December, went to London. Um, I was going to try out there with the D1 school, I mean, D1 team. So a friend of mine, that, um, they told me that uh, they were looking for players. Uh, so I traveled to London. Uh, to, uh, that team is um, um, uh, Plymouth, Plymouth. They were in Division 1. I. I think right now they, are, they might be Division 2 or somewhere. So I went there. I was going to try out. So when I got there, Found that the rules would change. If you were walk on, uh, they wanted anybody who was a walk on to have played 50 national kids for their national team. So, in other words, they were just trying to block people from just walking in and trying out. So, that was just, uh, I didn't have those many caps. So, I came back here and I kept trying to leave. But the more I tried, the more it looked like the doors were being closed. And then I noticed my heart was getting soft. I was getting really compassionate to a lot of things. And someday I would just find myself carry over just small, small stuff. Um, so I met a girl, you know, I met a girl and, uh, and she really liked me. And uh, she really liked me. And I didn't know she has been watching me for a year. And I was sure I was excited, wanted to learn my language. And, uh, but seven days later, the gay girl wanted to meet me and say, hey, listen now, uh, I think I want to stop talking to you. I'm a Christian and you are not, and this is not helping me. We are not doing anything foolish. We are not talking about any foolish stuff, but just being around you does not make me grow as a Christian. Boy, that, that did something to me. So the girl, she actually meant what she said. She walked away from me. I was broken. I was broken. And uh, so I started praying. <laughs> I started praying, talking to God about, you know, bringing this girl back or, but I didn't notice that the more I talked to God, the softer my heart was getting. And God did not respond necessarily to that prayer. But he, he drew me close to him. And um, just not long after that, probably about a month after that, uh, I broke down. I broke down and uh, I accepted the call. And I was sitting in my dome room. And, uh, and uh, believe it, you know, he heard the voice say, you need to repent and ask for forgiveness and invite me to come in your heart and be Lord and Savior for your life. And uh, all these things that we have lost, I'll give them back to you. Boy, that, I feel like that was an easy deal. You know, you're going to bring me that girl back to me and all the other things. And, and so tears dried, sat in a room, and I said, man, let's get it on. It was on a Wednesday. And that Sunday, I went for went to church, Satsuma Baptist Church, um, and I gave my life to the Lord and um, never looked back, never looked back. And I actually went to Coach Fuller and I told him that, uh, well, it was a year after that. I still had like one year left. And I told him that I, um, I felt like I had to call my life and I just wanted to give it 100%. I, don't, I didn't think it was going to be possible for me to give 100% as, uh, as an athlete and produce the same results as, uh, in that. So he, he didn't like the idea because he didn't think, he thought I'm about gas, you know, so he, 
he agreed with me, of course. And um, so I started playing. I started playing and, uh, and uh, helped him out with the JV team and the uh, senior team the following year. So that, that was one of the reasons I stayed, to answer the first part of your question. So you stayed, and mm-hmm. did you get the girl? Okay, so part two of the story. So, so I became a Christian now, and so my real my desire, my passion was just not necessarily for the girl, uh, because I just I, I feel like I found a greater love or something that kind of filled my heart. Um, so I didn't really quite pursue her like that. And um, about two months later, she called me and she said, "Hey, listen, I want to talk to you." So we talked. She said, "Listen, I." Uh, um, I think I'm pregnant, and uh, so I need us to go to the doctor. That's like, man, you can't not do, you know. Uh, so yeah, so find out that she's pregnant. I said, okay, let's, I must, I must, I must support my child. I must support you. Let's go and get married. She said, no, you know, my mom has always been fighting uh, us thing together. She thinks that you might, you know, you don't try to take me to Africa, whatever. So it's just, it's gonna be hard. So for six solid years. Uh, it was just a fight, just trying to uh, get married and be together. So I didn't get the girl. We're still uh, best friends. We're still best friends. Uh, my son is 16 now. Uh, so I didn't get her. And then right a year after that, I went for a, a Christian camp called Cross Point. And uh, so while I was out there, and I had so many injuries that she had uh, blood clots on my spine. I pulled my groin. I had ear infection. It was just so much going on, uh, just breaking down like that. And so the doctor told me to stay out for a year. And that meant, you know, obviously, uh, Coach Will had to make a decision to give me the scholarship without me playing or just get me out of the team. So I asked him to take me out of the team. And just by faith, I didn't know how I was going to do that. Uh, so I met the president of University of Mobile down the hallway, you know, when I was going to one of my classes. And so he asked me how everything was going, and, and he knew that I was, uh, just became a newborn again Christian. So he called me to his office. So I shared with him that I believe God had called me to do something, you know. Uh, but just one of the things was not just pursuing my soccer career. He said, listen, buddy, whatever you decide, we will see to it that you graduate from this school. We don't know it yet how, but we believe we will help you out. So for two and a half, three years, I don't know how that tuition fee was paid. And uh, so a week after that, I started doing prison ministry. You know, it was a big call in my heart to do prison ministry. Uh, so I did that 10 years. Uh, did that 10 years. So that one reason, of course, that made me stay school, my son, and uh, the prison ministry. And uh, by that time, I'd already started doing some camps with Ambassador's Football. It's a program uh, based out of Ohio. Uh, and so when I was there, I just uh, I just liked the way they did it. You know, that's where soccer for life was best. I just liked the outreach. I just I liked everything about it. So when I walked away from that camp, uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, "I want you to do the same thing." So I went to Zimbabwe. I did that. I came back. So I've been doing that for 17 years now. Uh, so soccer for life is a result of that camp. So I tried, I went back. Uh, to the founder of the program, and I told him that, hey, you have a son now in Mobile, Alabama. I just want you to uh, bless me, and I want you to know that, you know, uh, I cannot be where I am 
if it was not your program. So my program is an extension of your program. I'm not affiliated with them necessarily, but the idea of doing what we do, it came out from that program. So that's the reason why I stay. So so tell us a, a, a little bit of background or give us some insight into the program Soccer for Life. Who Who is it targeted to? Who are you trying to reach? And what are you trying to do through your program? Yes. Okay. So Soccer for Life is it's, it's, it's my story, if I, if I can put it that way. It's my, it's my story. Um, so I was born and raised in a village um, 200 miles away from the city. Um, so I lived there for 11 years. I think I was, um, yeah, I think I was about 10, 10 and 11 before we moved to the city. We're really poor. We walked to, I walked to school 15 miles one way, and I walked to, uh, back home 15 miles. And that's 30 miles, just, just school. And we, without even talking about going to, you know, the fields or going to get some water from the river or from the well or something like that. So on a, on a given day, you, you put in 45 miles easily, easily. And so I did that uh, for the 11 years. And, um, but I, was, uh, I, I believed I was good at soccer. I really believed I was good, but I just were just poor. So when I moved to the city, the opportunities were better. Uh, than the villages. So I still walked, but it wasn't that far. Um, then I noticed that there were a lot of, every community, you have about four or five teams. And kids uh, spend so much time uh, outside just playing. And so I, I, I noticed that that was just my niche. I liked that. And uh, so I started making some decisions. Um, I was just going to go to school and do well at school and then cut off from friends that just didn't go that direction. You know, I was very young when I made that decision. So I did it. But I was still poor. We're still poor. We're still poor. Though we're living in the city. And on my first pair of kids, I was 16 years old when I got my first pair of kids. Or someone gave it to me. It was a cousin of mine. Really old pair of kids. So I was 16. And uh, so I played throughout uh, my career, when, you know, my junior career when I was playing for the academy, just struggling. Just didn't have enough proper outfit equipment just so you know so I can you know have my self-esteem pushed up so when I started making some money playing semi-pro and pro in the back of my mind that 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 poverty was still there and I'll make a vow that I wasn't allow a child to go through the situation circumstances that I went through so the right word was being a bridge for somebody else to get to where I, did, uh, I was or even further if I could. And so, and, but I just, you know, when I came to America, I didn't really quite think about it like that until I became a Christian, until I went to Ohio. And then until I went to Zimbabwe when God said, I want you to go to Zimbabwe and show your people what I've done and do some camps. That became real. It became real. And so, well, I mean, I can do this. I can collect stuff. I can give someone a brand new soccer ball. I can bring a smile to a child. I can take a child from a really poor community and put him in a, a, a program where they have turf and Nike shoes and provide. So I, I felt like I could do that. And so I started doing that back then, 2002, uh, back and forth, uh, Zimbabwe and come back. And then uh, a soccer for life name was not there until 2005 when I was flying back. And I was listening to this song and God used this song to speak to me and say, just start a program called Soccer for Life, Soccer That Brings Life. 
be a bridge and help the kids that are in a bad shape and be a bridge they can cross over. Not only cross over, make sure you push them until they are last point of, of their destiny. And uh, you will know that you have done your job. So I've been doing, so I started doing soccer camps around Mobile everywhere for 10 years, uh, free camps. Uh, but I knew the ultimate goal was to start a club. And then after club, I, was just, I knew I was going to try to take some kids uh, to play professional soccer. But that was way big then. I just didn't know how, but I knew that was a part of my mission. So those are the crowds. So I'm just, just don't discriminate. If you come to programming, you got the skills. And, um, you know, you white, you black, you Latino, you Arab, it really just doesn't matter because it's an evidence. If we look at our program, it's very diverse. We have a lot of uh, refugees uh, from Africa. We've got a lot of refugees from the Middle East. We have a lot of affluent uh, parents, you know, UMS and St. Paul's. We have a lot of those, and we have a lot of African-American communities. So it's a diverse, but it's just uh, the atmosphere. Uh, it's atmosphere just constantly reminding me who I am, who I'm supposed to be to these kids, and who they're supposed to be when they when they mature. So that's the whole gist of soccer for life. So that program does it does it target certain ages? And you know, tell us a little bit about what what type of training that you do with the with the kids. Okay, so so the uh, youngest team is U six. Which will be a four year old and five year old and a kid that is ten and six. And then we've got the eight year old, ten year old, twelve year old, um, fourteen year old, sixteen year old, and then our oldest team uh will be U eighteen, will be the sixteen and seventeen year old. Uh so we don't we never uh, done trial we don't do trials because uh that would defeat the purpose of the, and the vision and the mission. You know, that mean now the kids that cannot walk and chew gum at the same time, don't have a place, and which is not us. So what we do, we just open up for everybody. And then uh, we just find you know, a place for you in the program. So, um, so all of my coaches are volunteer coaches. So we partner with Alabama Soccer Association. So they conduct a training station for us, for coaches. Uh, they do a lot of workshops. And I, I used to do a lot of workshops, and then I, I, I started thinking it would be better an out, outside voice, you know, I can do like that for a week or so, but I would like for someone from outside to come in and say kind of the same thing. So we get training for our, uh, our volunteer coaches from, from Alabama Soccer Association, and then in turn, we turn around, you know, and impart the kids same way. You know, we just normal practice, we just uh, passing drills, dribbling drills, and, 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 and formation and stuff. We just don't focus on formations until uh, the age of 12, uh, because some of our 12-year-olds, they play in snap soccer in the tournament, so, you know, they got to know uh, the format of play, and definitely, of course, the U-17, um, which is my oldest team. So two years ago, I took a chance, and I registered with the state league. You know, that was just an excitement part for me, just to see these kids get in a van, go out of town, and spend a night in a hotel, just that, that, that was priceless, you know. So I said, man, I'm going to do this again. We played eight games unbidden and we ended up winning the state. And then last year, I reached the same team. It was the U-17. We played eight games, uh, won all eight games, and we made it to the state, uh, state cup, played semifinal. We lost to our neighbors, Mobile United, and we lost uh, to them. And so that same team is still with me. 
I'm registering the same team to you, 18. So I'm going to do the same thing again. Uh, just really, I want you to hear me very well. It's just not about winning. That is, is, uh, is the concern of that. It's just seeing the kids exploring opportunities. Uh, just looking forward to do that. We use that as a leverage, of course. If kids don't do well at home or at school, of course, they like what we do. So we take that away from them, you know, for a week or whatever it is. So we use that as not necessarily punishment, but just uh, leverage so that the kids can do better. Uh, but because of the nature of the kids that we deal with, you know, these kids are underprivileged. So every little thing that you do for them, they're going to appreciate you know, just getting kids. You know, if someone donates $500, you can buy kids for somebody, take the kids to academy. It's just like taking a kid to a candy store. So the stuff like that, you know, stuff like that, that's, those are the things that I did not have when I was growing up. So now I'm in a position to do that to somebody else. So if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. And um, I, I've seen your program firsthand. Uh, we, we, um, we we have seen like the impact that you've made on these kids and and the opportunities and um, I heard that you were also looking at doing some things with some of the kids in terms of possibly taking them to Germany. Is that correct? Correct. So yeah, so that has come to pass. So so that team was the reason why motivated me start. It was just part of the mission. Remember, I told you that in 2000, really wanted to get the kids off the street. And so we did that. And then the next part of that mission was, can we get them in a league? Uh, but not a, a really bad rec league, to say. But a league where they can, even if they lose, but they see some competition. So we did that. There was a league, uh, Westmobile called Castle League. We did that. You know, we lost almost every game. But kids saw excellence that I was trying to really introduce them to excellence, organize teams so they can see that, so that our parents can see that as well. So we did that. And then the next thing was now that we've got this going, can we can we play in the league in organizing? Can we play in tournaments if we have the money? And we've done that. And then so after that, I said, well the next level now, if we got kids that got skill, let me see if I can take some of them to the ODP, Olympic Development Program. So I did, I took 10 of my kids and then all 10 of them made the team, you know. So then I really started to realize that, you know, I can, as long as the door is open for them, I, I, I'll try to push them through. So last year, um, I went to uh, South Africa in Zimbabwe to do some soccer camps. On my way back, I met this guy. He works with European teams, and he was telling me that um, he, he goes there like four or five times a year, and he has taken up almost 100 players there uh, to try out. And so we got in, in touch. And so he was going to come here to America and evaluate my kids. Well, a week when he was supposed to come, I got a call from Leeds in England, and this guy said, hey, listen, I watch your program over uh, uh, Facebook, and you look like you got pretty good players. There is an opportunity in Germany uh, for you know for players that are 16, 17, 18, 19. If you guys, I mean, I had about six of those kids that are really looking for opportunity. So I took an opportunity, I took a chance, I shared with their parents, and I didn't know what I was doing really as, as far as if they're going to be able to you know agree with me because I know most of them don't have the funds. So they say, Coach, we, we, I say, listen, try your best. Put on credit card, but whatever it is, try, please. And they did. They did. So I took four.
I think we we might have lost him. Uh, we will try to get uh, Z back here in in just a minute. Um, his story is is so good, and um, and talking about the impact that he that he tries to make on um, you know on these kids and their families and their ability to to get opportunities. Um, and and so we're gonna. See if we can get it back on the air to finish out. Z, are you there? Yes, sir. Awesome. Yeah, I'm there. We lost you for a second. Um, yeah, okay. Wait, let me wrap it up. Let me wrap it up. So uh, so I, last month, I took uh, I took one of my sons and he tried out. I just received a letter last week that he made the team. And uh, they're, so they're doing the best I can just to, uh, to bring him out there. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's, that's the kind of program we are. Uh, we we help kids, and we mentor not only soccer player but the entire kid. You know, if you are not good enough to be a professional player, are you good enough to be a policeman? Are you good enough to be a, a productive citizen in 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 the state? Can you can you look back and say, you know, this program has helped me A B C D? So that's what we try to do. Um, so if we got kids that are talented, we we will focus on that. But if we don't, we'll focus on what we have and make the best out of the kids uh, so that when they leave us, they are productive. So the families, um, often okay. often something that is overlooked in all of this, what has what the response been and the relationship and the conversations been with these families of of these players that that have been coming through your program, uh, what kind of impact have you been able to to make with them, and what has their responses been to to your program? Okay, so for the, for the most part, these families that we have impacted a lot uh, will be the refugee families. Um, of course, a lot of uh, a lot of even local parents, but. Because they family, they understand family structure like that. So it, it's, we haven't been able to really got make changes in mom and dad's life in the local families. But for the most part, for the refugees, we have. Uh, it's a fight every day. Most of most of the families, they, uh, the culture says, you know, you you don't spend time out there watching kids play soccer. You know, my my, my parents never did that. So for you to come, for them to come over this country, they're already adults, and you asking them to leave three other kids at home and uh, and come and just, they're not going to do that. So we just have to paint a good picture. So what I've, I've started doing is uh, we never ask them to pay for anything, but we ask them when they first started uh, to be responsible over the equipment that we give them. Um so which was never really successful, you know, doing that way. And then uh, later on, we started engaging them in you know, paying for gas. That way, since they, you know, so season starts, we ask them for $25 from each family so that we can come pick up your kids and drop them off. So they, they can do that easily because now it takes away the responsibility. and stuff. So we have had uh, so much impact. So our next, like, next thing that we're working on is just to try to see can we not use our vehicles and, and and use yours? Can you come and watch? You know, um, your son got a championship coming up. Can you please come and watch? So that is has been working so far. They hit and miss. They come, but they just not consistent. Uh, but as far as buying into what we've done, yes, they see the uh, the change. 
but at the same time, it's, they're all they're dogs. You know, the saying says, you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. So it's kind of, it's, it's really tough to change their mindset as far as uh, what can, how can they get involved in their kids. We are asking them, it's almost like asking them too much. Um, so we're asking them to, to take a walk with their kids. Uh, just get up early in the morning, remind them. That's not something, they were not trained that way. Their parents didn't do that to them and their grand-grandparents didn't. So we are asking them a very big shift, uh, which I believe maybe in the next few years, they will catch on to that. Uh, but for right now, it's still a fight. It's still a fight. They don't resist letting the kids uh, go to practice, but they're just going to fight you tooth and nail uh, to get the kids in the end of I mean, we're talking about families that got like four or five cars parked outside. You know, they're going to come up with all kinds of excuses. Well, I'm tired. I just came up from work. I don't have gas. I just don't feel like doing that right now. I've got things to do. So those are kind of excuses. And those excuses are not genuine. And they, they know, you know, you, you, you cannot take that and say, man, this, this was a good excuse, you know. So that's the fight that we have. So your program, you've mentioned several times that you, you, you try not to uh... – have families pay for the program, you know, chip in here or there, but the kids are not paying to come out and play in your program. How do you do funding for your program? How do you fund Soccer for Life? So Soccer for Life is a non-profit 501c3 uh, a program, of course. So when I started the program in 2002, really I didn't come up with the name until 2002 four five somewhere around there and so um i, I did the the paperwork uh for uh for tax exemption so we are a uh, tax exam program so i no condos i constantly get invited to go to you know organization and share some buy into it some don't some will give um some will say well let, let me i'll try next year so the most that we have received uh is five thousand dollars uh, from the county, you know, maybe every other year. And then, uh, of course, you know, you know, just small companies that are generally given here and there and, and stuff. So that's how we we survived. That's how we have survived up to this point. Um, but it, it, it's, it's tough, but it's, it's a faith program. It's a faith program, I can tell you that. Because it's a faith program, so I'll, I'm always working on faith, by faith, just to make sure uh, that I don't lose my vision because if I lose the vision and the mission, then I'll turn this program into something else, but uh, I'm not going to do that. So it's uh, through faith that we, you know, we're able just to say, you know, I, I sent out application to that company, that company I prayed about, I'm away. We do registration. We are not going to charge parents uh, way more than what we are already charging them, which is $100. Uh, as, as the years go by, we will probably add this and that, but we Integrity and excellence is the reason why we are still in existence. Um, you know, so we everything that we need to do to compete, uh, that hundred dollars is, is barely making it. But in addition to what you know, company ABC will give, will make it work, make it stick, and want to dress their kids so they can look really nice. Practice jersey, game jersey. If we can do two jerseys, that still works. Um, if we were a profit-making program, yes, we'll be making a, a, a lot of money because we, right now in the spring, we have about 200 kids. So if we were charging them, say, at the least $300, that's a lot of money. 
but that defeat the purpose of, and the mission for the program. So we, we've been getting our funding through just local, you know, businesses and local well-wishers and local dads uh, that see the impact that we're making. That makes sense. And um, it, if people wanted to learn more about your program, do you have a, a website or anything where people could, or a Facebook page or anything like that, where people could uh, follow along with your program, uh, maybe get involved with your program, etc.? Yes, sir. Uh, so it's, uh, the website is soccerforlife.org. So S-O-C-C-E-R, the number four, live.org. And the uh, Facebook page, same thing. So if you go to say, Facebook and say Soccer for Life, um, it's, it's all over Facebook. And then, you know, we, we do that. And we, um, we, we try to stay focused. We try to do, use as much social media as we can just to reach out. Um, we are... And I just, if I want to try to be clear on this one, we are not driven by numbers. Um, it's not the numbers uh, that we are concerned about. It's the quality of the few that we have so that when they do leave or they decide, you know, they don't want to continue again. But we want to be able to go back and measurable results and say, hey, this is what we've done with this kid. This is what we have now. Um, you know, so we, we just, we're not pushing for numbers. We, 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 we're not concerned about that. One year we might come down as low as eight uh, kids and the following year, 200. Like last year, we didn't have about 105. So this year went up, but the year before around this time we had 250 kids. So that's not really our focus. So, and we, we put out the website there and the brochures and social media, not for numbers, but just to, uh, you know, to share with the people that this is what we do and this is uh, where we are. Well, thank you for, uh, for providing that, that, that information uh, for, for the audience. And uh, look, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and the impact that you're trying to make in the next generation and uh, making an impact in their story um, I've seen your work firsthand. It's incredible. Keep up the great work, and uh, we appreciate you coming on the show and uh, and sharing your your background, your insights, your personal story, and also the story of soccer for life. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thank you, brother. Uh, God bless, and uh, just we love the work you do to uh, just try and give uh, people an opportunity to share their stories. So we uh, we appreciate, it. and uh, thank you so much. Sir. Thank you. That was Zinzo Nedlovu, who is uh, with Soccer for Life uh, in Mobile, Alabama. You can hear the passion oozing uh, out of him as he talks about these kids and the impact on the community. He is in it for the right reasons. I've seen him firsthand. The guy is legit. And, um, you know, we need we need people like him, more of him. Uh, making an impact in communities all over the country. If you are thinking about doing something in a community um, and and want to want to learn from him, check check him out. R- reach out to him. Um, soccer the number four life dot org um, is their website, and you can find out more information there and get in touch with them uh, to see what they're doing with their programming um, and and the impact they're trying to make on these kids. So, thanks for tuning into the show. Thanks. Uh, for, for always the, the kudos and the, the feedback that we've gotten. It's, it's awesome. 
and um, and really do appreciate uh, Coach Z coming on today. Um, stay tuned uh, for tomorrow. We have uh, Terry Eway who's going to be joining the show, and uh, it's going to be a great chat. It's going to be, I think, a pretty funny chat as well, um, and, uh, and and really look forward to having him on. So, anyway, thanks for uh, watching the show today. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can follow, learn more about the show uh, by connecting uh, on social media at Daniel Workman or on Facebook dot com forward slash w r k m n until tomorrow we'll see everybody then <laughs>